let's turn to Acts. Oh, sorry, Luke 24, first of all. Luke chapter 24. And we'll start in verse 44. 20%. Okay. This Sunday is the seventh Sunday after Easter, or the seventh Sunday of Easter. And it's often called Ascension Sunday. Ascension Sunday. Next Sunday is what's commonly known in the churches as Pentecost Sunday. So I'd like to take the next two weeks to think about these two very important subjects from Scripture. And we have spent uh, quite a bit of time, but very worthwhile time recently, thinking about the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Alec was sharing that with us. We, before that, it was Easter itself, the lead up to the death, burial and resurrection of our Lord. So today we're going to focus in on the ascension of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and next week on the day of Pentecost. The word ascension, if you imagine someone climbing up those campuses across there, um, it means to ascend, to climb, to go up the way. And of course that's exactly what we're going to find out happened in the experience of Jesus. Luke chapter 24 verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus had died on the cross at Calvary. He had been raised to life on the third day. And now over a period of of around 40 days, He was appearing to his disciples in many different ways and they were getting the surprise left, right and centre as Jesus just appeared in their midst. There was the occasion when the two were walking down the road to Emmaus and there was a stranger next to them who they then realised later it was their Saviour and Lord Jesus Christ. Then there was one day that Peter and his friends were back fishing again thinking it was all over, that their Saviour had left them. And all of a sudden there's Jesus on the shore. And Peter jumps out and goes back to his saviour. Realising that he's risen from the dead. And then there was doubting Thomas. Who just couldn't quite, I need to see this for myself. I've heard all the different accounts. He's appeared, Jesus has maybe appeared to lots of other people. But unless I actually see it myself, I'll never believe it. So Jesus personally appears another time when Thomas is there. And Thomas too trusts This is all quite dramatic, isn't it? There's been a lot of proof, a lot of evidence. There is no question now amongst the disciples that their Lord and Saviour is not dead. He is alive. He's risen. He's speaking to us. He's appearing to us many, many times. It's undisputable to them that he's alive. But I want to say to you today that the scriptures teach us they didn't understand it all quite yet. There was bits of this that was still to be unlocked to them, still to be made clear to them. And Jesus, that's what he's doing there, here in Luke 24 to his disciples. He unlocked the full meaning of what was written in the Old Testament scriptures. Remember all the disciples would have known their Bible. They would have known the word of God, the Old Testament. 
But it is clear from the scriptures here they didn't fully understand yet the full meaning of all that had just happened according to the scriptures. So look, at, look back again at verse 46. Jesus says, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. What Jesus is declaring there is that the writings of the Old Testament prophets and the law of Moses and the Psalms are all proof that he is the Messiah. That what has happened to him is in fact God's plan of salvation. Do you see that? Evidence. You know, people would say to to us today, well, I don't believe the Bible is inspired by God. Well, how do we explain this then? How do we explain all of the accounts of Scripture in the Old Testament that are fulfilled down to the letter? I'm not going to get into them all today, but you could research them. And there are, there are loads and loads and loads of promises in the Old Testament Scripture about Jesus Christ, about the coming Messiah, that were fulfilled to the letter. He rose on the third day, according to the Scriptures, written many years previously. God inspired people to write these scriptures by his Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit was inspiring the writing of those scriptures and the proof of that is it happened. (laughs) Everything that was written happened. And Jesus is saying, look, it's written. It's happened. This is evidence. This is proof that I am who I say I am. But what's the result of this? He's also now going to teach what's next? What's next? What was the plan? Yes, it was written that the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead in the third day. But then look at verse 47. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now that's a plan, isn't it? That's quite a plan. And that's good news, that plan. And that the whole point of all of the plan of salvation here of Jesus suffering his life and his death and resurrection was to bring about that repentance that turning people turning away from their sins and turning towards God and receiving forgiveness through what Jesus Christ has done by paying the price personally for our sins on the cross isn't that marvellous? and here's the disciples they hadn't quite figured this out yet they knew their saviour was alive and now it's all becoming clear to them But notice that this message has to be preached. It can't be held in. It says repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached. It will be spoken about. It will be shared. We're going to tell people about it. And where is it going to be preached? To all nations. Isn't that lovely? You know, we live in a society that's very insular. More and more people just look after themselves. They just look after number one nations. Just look after themselves. Not God. God sends a message to all nations, to all peoples. No barriers. And it's going to start in the very special place dear to God's heart in Jerusalem. And Jesus says in verse 48, You, that's the disciples who think they're nothing, who think they're failures, who think, what am I going to be any use for? Jesus points to them at this point and says, you are witnesses to these things. They've seen, what does the word witness mean? You've you've seen it, you've experienced it, you've understood it. 
You believe something to be truth. You know it to be true. You think of a, a witness standing in court. They'll say, can they call a witness now, please? They'll want to know what you, what you believe to have happened and what you know to be right, don't they? And you give your answer. Now, these were the very first witnesses, weren't they? They'd seen Jesus. They had heard his teaching. They had seen him die. They had also seen him rise miraculously from the dead and appear to them. They were witnesses. This is really important, isn't it? It's because of these witnesses that the message is passed down to us, isn't it? He says, you are witnesses, you've seen it. And now I'm telling you, the scriptures are witnessing to this as well. That this is true. He says, verse 49, and I'm going to send you what my father has promised. What does that mean? He's referring to the Holy Spirit. And we'll get into that in more detail as we go through today. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in this city, in Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with power from on high. I want to just notice a couple of things about that. Jesus gives both an instruction to his disciples and a promise. So the promise is the first part of verse 49. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. And the instruction is stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So the disciples had a choice to make and it's a bit like you and I. We receive instructions from our Lord and Saviour and the first instruction we have is believe in me and we have to decide if we're going to follow him. And then he'll call us to something and he'll say do this or be obedient to what my word tells you to do and we've got a decision to make, don't we? Are we going to obey that instruction and do what God's word's asking us to do or are we going to disobey that? The disciples thankfully obeyed the instructions that they were given. And now Jesus moves on and he leads his disciples out to Bethany where he was going to ascend to heaven. Read verse 50 there. When he had left them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So you can... You can see there they're taken to the vicinity of Bethany. The village of Bethany is mentioned a few times in the scriptures. It's a, a name that you probably can gather I quite like. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a name that brings to, to my mind the miracles of Jesus, the fact that Jesus loved people who lived in Bethany. One of the people whom Jesus loved was Lazarus. And you'll remember the story near to when Jesus died. And rose again of Lazarus who died. And he was from Bethany. And Jesus loved him. And and Jesus went there. And raised him from the dead. Because he loved him. Isn't that lovely? I looked up the word Bethany. I looked at a wee bit of what they think the history might be of that area. They believe it was an area just outside of Jerusalem. Where people looked after the sick. People looked after the poor. It was an area to which they went. It was a care, a care centre, maybe we would call it nowadays, or an area. And there were people there who would look after some of the outcasts of society and look after those who really needed help. They wouldn't probably have had a lot financially or in other ways in life, but they had a care and a compassion for people. And that's what the historians believe that particular area represented. 
Lazarus was there and Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. Jesus also, before he entered Jerusalem, on the donkey, he stopped off at Bethany. Also, after he entered Jerusalem, he went back out to Bethany and he lodged there for the week. Then we have the dinner at the house of Simon the leper, which Mary anoints Jesus, and I preached about that a few weeks ago. A lovely testimony of worship and praise to the Saviour and a preparation, as Jesus said, for his own burial. All happened in this area of Bethany. And finally, and I would suggest most wonderfully, an occasion I wish I had been at, well, I'm sure we wish we'd all been at, (laughs) to be able not only to see our Lord in person, but what would it have been like to have been led out to the vicinity of Bethany and to be with the Lord and to hear these words and then to see him being taken up into heaven? It would have probably been a mixed feeling. It probably would have been an awe and a wonder, but also a bit of a, what's going to happen next? You know, there's my Saviour and my Lord and I love him. And he's, he's, he's now ascending. Jesus said a blessing and he was taken up to heaven. And then the disciples, with these mixed feelings, no doubt, loving their saviour but thinking what's going to happen next they had a decision to make do they obey or do they disobey what they were told do they believe God or not they decided to believe and they went straight back it said there after, after worshipping God that's good That's good. they took time to worship him and then they returned to Jerusalem verse 52 with great joy and they stayed continually there at the temple praising God so they were being of Egypt weren't they a good example to us and God gives us instructions. And they waited there in Jerusalem. But the account of the story didn't stop there. I want to continue. Go on to Acts, a few books on. And chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, written by the same person, Luke. And it really just continues the account. And gives a wee bit more detail as well about what happened. Starting in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. And teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave him th- them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here we see, do you see there's a a bit more detail here from Luke on the account of this experience, the final experience of the disciples with Jesus and the ascension. Notice the promise detailed there, verse 4, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. You think of the word baptism, what do you think about baptism in the Bible? We have baptism as a symbol. symbol. After you become a believer in Jesus, there is a command to be baptised as a Christian. And that word 
to be baptised meant full submersion, being totally covered by water. In that particular instance, believer's baptism would be that. And you go down into the water, you're fully submerged by the water, and then you come back up again. And that's symbolic. After you believe, you become a Christian when you trust in Jesus. That's when you become a Christian. Baptism is a step of obedience then. Afterwards, which Jesus says, if you do believe in me, then you'll show it to other people in baptism as a demonstration, an outward demonstration of that inward experience that we've had. But there's this idea of being covered. What I'm thinking about there is when we go into the waters, we're covered. We're, there's the idea of washing away of sins and uh, newness of life and we come up again. And you often see people being baptised in clothes of white as a demonstration of this is actually symbolically what's happened to me. I've received forgiveness for my sins and my sins have been washed away. Isn't that lovely? But then you also have the imagery of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, as living water. Flowing and filling the life of a believer. This is what we're talking about. You know, you've seen in verse 5 there... Those two illustrations are are made by Jesus. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I know some people here were blessed to have been over at Jordan, in that place, that biblical place of the baptisms, and it must have been a wonderful experience, eh? And a wonderful blessing. Some people were being baptized there. But there is something even more wonderful is this promised gift to a believer that's coming. <clears throat> it comes to every believer being baptised with the Holy Spirit, with God's power from on high. But at this point, the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. That was still to come. And the disciples were being obedient until that time. But we don't live in that time. I'm going to zoom ahead now. Next week is Pentecost and we'll get into more detail about that. But the Holy Spirit was then poured out. Upon all of the disciples, each one of them received that power from on high through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And they were sent out as witnesses. And ever since that day, the Holy Spirit is available and poured out to believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? It's important we just clarify that. Because at this point, that hadn't been done. But for us as believers today, what do we learn from this experience of the disciples? Well, they weren't to do anything. Without the Holy Spirit. They were not to do anything. Until they had waited. On receiving that power of the Holy Spirit. Could I challenge us as Christians today. It's so easy to live our Christian lives. Just a bit like clockwork. And carry on life. As if we're not really relying on God's power. And I'm speaking personally. As well as challenging as all with us today. You know the scriptures that say. Be filled continually. With the Holy Spirit. And to ask God for that and to, and to be obedient to him so that we are actually living in the power of the spirit rather than the power of our own flesh. You know, maybe if you're anything like me, we too often operate in our own strength. Too often. And not actually surrendering to the living water that God's provided for within us. That's just a very common experience, but it doesn't need to be that way, does it? So I would put that word in there, wait on the Holy Spirit. You know, I've I've personally spent time in my life asking God for empowerment by His Holy Spirit. 
we all need to do that I probably don't do it as much as I should do none of us are there yet but I've spent time asking God to lead me by his spirit to direct me by his spirit it's really important as we come to personal prayer that we're doing that and also as we pray together do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised so as Christians this is an encouragement to us but it's also a great challenge to make sure we're living relying and waiting on God waiting on his spirit's power and direction and not our own strength we cannot be effective witnesses to the world without the power of the Holy Spirit and I want to suggest to you strongly that a lot of the church of Jesus Christ is not effective and we can include our our own experience in these things as well because we're not excluded a lot of the church of Jesus Christ is not effective because it is not operating in the true power of the Holy Spirit because we're either not being obedient to God's word and there's never a blessing when that's the case isn't there not or we're not waiting we're not calling upon his power we're relying on our own plans I heard one pastor say recently I don't have plans because my plans are nothing I need to try and discover what God's plans are so I go into the prayer closet he says and I ask God what his plans are and we ask God as leaders of this church what God's plans are and we don't come out until we find out what they are now that's a challenge isn't it then he came out and said we're not going to do on top of the prayer program we have that's working amongst multiple churches in this area we're going to build on top of that a feeding program for the whole city and we're going to pledge over a million dollars now that's a particular ministry that I know is real you hear a lot of the stories of ministries that aren't real but I'll tell you the ones that are real the ones that are real are people who get into the prayer closet and who are seeking God's face and not their own face I heard only a couple of days ago talking to a colleague of mine that so many people think of the church it's fake because they look at their television and they see people asking for money and it's so obvious it's just lining the pockets of the people on the television that's sad isn't it but that doesn't mean there aren't real examples either on the television or not on the television but the man or the woman of God waits on the Lord not on their own plans waits on his empowerment his strength, his guidance and direction because there's absolutely no point in operating either personally or as a church unless we know that it's God's plans I'm glad that when we stepped out into Moody'sburn we knew it was God that was asking us to go in fact if we didn't know it was God there was no way we could have ever stepped out and done it because it was downright impossible why on earth would God have called a young family with a wee baby just born and you know, Bill and Kathy by their own account saying pensioners, you know. <laughs> and uh, why would he do that? Because God's plans are different to our plans. God's, are, God's plans don't equate with the human mind. God chooses people to whom he chooses. And that's not to make heads bigger in here. It's not. It's just the facts. So we might think to ourselves, well, who am I? You know, I'm, 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 I'm feeling a wee bit long in the tooth here. You know, so did Moses. So did Moses. He says, God, I'm past all that. God, I messed up. I tried to lead the people and I just messed it up. And now I'm old. And God says, no, you're the one. You get in there and you're going to have favour. And I am going to use your life to bless, to be witness to my glory. And the disciples are there. I have no idea what their ages may have been. I have no idea. We know what their background may have been. They had everything going against them in their own society. 
Many had no money. Many had no position. Many of them felt like failures. And were actually failures. And they had let the Lord down many times. But you know what? God loved them. In the same way as he loves you. And the God who created us has a perfect plan for us. And he knows what's going to make you and I bring glory to him. The responsibility on us is to find that by waiting in prayer. Waiting before him. Which is a hard thing to do in our society, isn't it? It's hard just to step back. I find it difficult, I'm sure you do. But the times when I've found direction in my life, it's been when I've stopped and I've prayed. And I've asked God to lead me. And then something comes that surprises you. He ends up asking you to do something that you never could see yourself doing. But the people whom God sends are the people who wait upon him. Do we see that? It's really, really important. It's really, really important. It's not about how talented we are, how naturally gifted we are. These disciples had qualities about them. What were their qualities? They loved their saviour. That's a quality, isn't it? That's a quality we should have. Do we love our saviour? What's another quality? They wanted to please him. Peter failed, but he wanted to please his Lord. That was a good quality, wasn't it? That's an honest heart. Not one that lines its own pockets. Not one that's only out to get things for itself. That's an honest heart that's saying, I want to serve my Lord. And do you know what? God can see where there's honesty in someone. Because he sees our hearts. He knows us. Search me and know me, O Lord. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me, says David. And lead me in the way everlasting. And you know, David failed massively. But God saw his heart was honest before him. And he had a massive blip in his experience. But his heart turned towards his Lord. And his pattern of his heart was honest. It's not about perfection. It's not about perfection. It's about having a heart towards God. Do you see that in all the disciples? They each followed. They each had an honesty of heart. (laughs) Kathy said a lovely thing about her cousin uh, on Thursday, which we could all aspire to. When Jesus said, come, she said, I'll be there. That's the type of response that brings forth God's blessing. That's how we get saved. He says, follow me, and we say, I'll be there. And all of the disciples had that quality, because when Jesus called them, did you notice they were all doing stuff at the time? <laughs> and he called them, and they just came. They dropped what they were doing, they said, I'm following God. Honestly, just went for it, because they recognised God in him. So, we might feel we've got nothing to offer. We might feel we're a failure. We might feel any number of things that people have told us, or said to us, that have influenced their way of thinking about ourselves. But can I ask you something? Do you want to follow Jesus? I'd be probably struggling to go round the room and find anybody that wouldn't say yes. What about, do you have an honest heart before the Lord that you want to serve him? Again, I would have no doubt saying to everyone in this room that you would be genuine about that, you would want to serve him. Well, I've got good news for you. Let's wait on him. Let's move on to the next step. And ask God for his strength. Ask God for his direction. Ask God to reveal to us his plans, his direction. Maybe it's a job, situation we're not sure about. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's other things in life. Maybe it's what ministry is God calling me into. Wait on him. Ask him. And he'll not, he'll not leave you in any doubt. But just be aware that he might surprise you. And just like he did to his disciples, when he turned around and he pointed the finger to them, and he said, by the way, you are my witnesses 
And there is a very general calling and a very important calling that we all have. Every single believer in Jesus is a witness to Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Amen. So regardless of the particular things that he would call us that may surprise us when we wait on him and the particular things that he would bless us with, we have a general calling. All of us are witnesses. But we can only be witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9. After Jesus had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. At this point, I've absolutely no doubt that the disciples, although they're understanding things better, they would have wondered what's really going on and why it was so important that Jesus had to leave and ascend up to heaven. I'm just going to bring a few points about why it was so important that Jesus ascended. Firstly, if Jesus had not returned to his Father, he could not have sent the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was a prerequisite to the promise. He'd previously taught that. He said, unless I go away... The counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's John 16 verse 7. It's a prerequisite to the promises. Jesus must go to the Father or the Holy Spirit could not be sent. Secondly, if Jesus had not returned to the Father, he would not be there right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We were thinking about that on Wednesday night. As we come to pray, the Lord Jesus Christ is praying before we've even got started and constantly all the time and that word intercession means standing in the gap you know if me and Joe there's a wee distance between us just now if somebody stood in the gap that's what an intercessor does stands in the gap there's somebody who's got a problem you're thinking about and in prayer you bring them to the Father and Jesus is standing there in the gap praying isn't that lovely Praying that God's plans will come out in our life. Praying that we'll listen to him. Praying that we'll experience more and more of his love. He's on our side. And he's at a place of power as well. Which is the next point. If Jesus had not been returned to the Father, he would not be our advocate before the Father. He's our high priest. He's our high priest. And he's our advocate. What's an advocate? An advocate is someone who speaks or writes in support or defence of someone else. Again, it's the kind of courtroom language, isn't it? So, the great high priest, Jesus is there as a great high priest. Why? Because he died. He lived a perfect life. He was a perfect sacrifice for sins. He rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death. He ascended to the Father, to the highest place in the Scriptures teach, because he did all of those things and was obedient to the Father. The name of Jesus is now above every other name in heaven and on earth. Hallelujah. Because he lives. Because he was a obedient. Because he ascended. Because he's at the right hand of the Father. He's the head of the church. Our high priest. That represents he stands there. Perfect sacrifice. In the white robes. And the Father when he looks on us. He only sees the Son. When he looks on us, he only sees the sun. Just thinking about that, the Olympic flame we were talking about earlier on, they're simply capturing from the sun some light. And the same, our God said, let the light shine into darkness. Let there be light. And there was light. He's the force behind it. And the same God that said, let light shine into darkness, also said, made his light shine in our hearts as believers to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 
when the father looks at us he can only see the sun his light's so much greater than everything else all of our darkness is gone isn't that lovely can't see it, it's all gone but now that Jesus has returned to the father it was so important that he he ascended to the father so that we can firstly receive that gift of the Holy Spirit that he promised secondly have a great high priest a perfect high priest constantly interceding for us and also that he's our advocate pleading for us before the Father do you notice there there's a a demonstration of the Godhead what we would call the Trinity you have God the Father in heaven and you have God the Son there who came to earth who was in heaven but came stepped down into earth to be this sacrifice for us and has now gone back to his Father in heaven and then we have God the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended there was to be the sending of God the Holy Spirit sent to earth to fill the lives of every believer in Jesus empowering us to live holy lives to be what we can't be in our own strength and to be these witnesses for Jesus throughout the whole world you see how God was working in perfect unity that's what the, the Trinity demonstrates to us one God, three persons in the Godhead working in perfect unity perfect relationship, perfect plan and finally as we close we find another wonderful promise to us as believers of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10 and 11. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven so this is a forward look we've spoken about and we'll look at in more detail next week the coming of the Holy Spirit Jesus was ascended and the Holy Spirit was to come but also the Old Testament scriptures also teach about the second coming of Christ and so do uh, Revelation the books of Revelation and other areas of the New Testament speak Alec was speaking recently from Thessalonians which if you read it goes into more detail as well about the second coming of Jesus Christ it's a clear promise that this Jesus whom ascended to the Father is going to come back in exactly the same way. And that's a foundational hope of the Christian faith, isn't it? We serve a risen Saviour. And why is he coming back? He's coming back for a new heaven and a new earth to make all things new. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. Satan will be totally obliterated and hell will be where it should be for him. And that's a wondrous hope for for Christians and also as we've been thinking recently as we would go through the sadness of parting with loved ones who trusted in Jesus we will know that they'll be there on that day. That those who are asleep in Christ will be awoken again on that day and we who are still alive will meet the Lord in the air. What a day that's going to be. What a day that's going to be. Just one final question regarding that. Are we all ready for that day? Are we individually ready? Because the only way we can be ready for the day Either we, we, we die or that Jesus comes again. The only way we can be ready is if we've trusted in Jesus to forgive our sins and be our personal saviour. And it's been emphasised quite a lot in New Beginnings recently, but I believe that's deliberate from the Holy Spirit. Because it's come to me again today. So could I ask you lovingly to listen to what God's saying to you? Listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God loves you. He did all of this for you, but you need to decide to follow him. It's a decision you must make yourself. The disciples made the right choice to follow Jesus. Will you make the right choice? And if you do, if you trust in him, 
can I tell you, you will never ever regret it, ever. Because you will know what it is to be forgiven from your sins. You'll know what it is to know that you're going to heaven. You'll know what it is to have the gift of the Holy Spirit given within you to make you into a new person that you could never be. So if I just challenge you with that, you can receive Jesus today. And as believers, for those who have trusted in him, we are promised that Holy Spirit. And again, just in closing, let's remember to wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, the scriptures say in it. Those who trust in the Lord, wait upon him, call upon his name. And I would encourage you to, to pray, to come along to gatherings where we pray like Wednesday night. We want to experience God's power and his leading and direction. And we've got plenty of opportunities here to witness for him, don't we? But we can only do it by his power. Let's pray.